0: My name is Susie Can and I hope you enjoy exploring with me the thoughts that come with this thread. If you have any interest in supporting what I'm doing or getting in touch, please do so through the website kylak.ie, where you will also find other resources and connections that I create around each podcast so that if some of the tweaks of interest come to you through them, you have a place to go to go a little further and deeper or to find other information or to find a way to support by maybe wanting to collaborate or offer something or even a donation. Thanks for listening. This thread about systems and design of our human world, I've been exploring ingredients and some of the ways that we can put them together. I think for the episodes that remain, I may try to draw all of the threads together into a picture, although sometimes that's happening if they are woven together anyway. What I want to talk about. As one of the ingredients of a world that is meeting more equitable, more just, and more ecological, regenerative approaches, I want to add into the mix the bridging idea of a cooperative. And I say bridging because cooperatives sit within our capitalist world, but they retain something of a different model and a different empowerment. And I think that they have potential to create new community wealth and new ways of working together as a force that stops extracted wealth happening through the large privately owned extracting multinationals that exist in our world today the history of cooperatives goes back to a time when the capitalism we now live within was accelerating due to industrialization. And it's interesting to see that we're in a similar period of consolidated wealth, accelerated extraction, and the cooperative movement in Ireland and globally is rising again. And so there's something in that for me about the pattern of resistance that comes from its origins to still be increasingly relevant today. People who are credited as pioneering cooperatives as organizations are a group of skilled workers who were weaving and other trades who created a, what was called the Cooperative Society. And they created their own principles that would guide their work and the sale of their goods and the establishment of an outlet in which to sell their goods at a time when they were under increased pressure from changing market systems that was a driving force in their decision because there was huge production that was increasing due to industrialization. And there were all of these goods that were sold less expensively, but one of the things that caused these workers who were producing goods to come together was that they felt that the quality of the goods and the materials that they were using were worth preserving. I mean, even something that was being added in to make something more volume and more cheap and They could see that happening. And so as that was happening, of course, employees didn't have any control over their working conditions. Working conditions were deteriorating rapidly. There was low pay and long hours and unsanitary places to work. And also the pushing down of the age of who was working in those industries where Children and so on. And so that sounds familiar, right? Because that's still happening in the world today and not just in where exploitative, extractive, colonized worlds of mass labor have those kinds of conditions that are people might associate with the global south. But those are happening now in the global north where there are undignified working conditions where people are under pressure in manufacturing to have no control over their working conditions where unions in America being suppressed and banned. Adults wear diapers because of the demands of keeping the job means a level of production and they can't take breaks. And so they're not able to go to the toilets. They wear adult diapers. So the cooperative movement was very much so that there could be self-governance in the production of goods. And so those co-ops had the power to combat the emerging market trends and empower workers, and they still have that power today. And they have flourished across the world, and Ireland has its own particular history of cooperatives in the agricultural sector rather than in the manufacturing sector. And this was championed by an Irish, Anglo-Irish agricultural uh, reformer and pioneer of agricultural cooperatives called Horace Plunkett. He was uh, a unionist MP, but a supporter of home rule and an Irish senator in the late 1800s. And he saw firsthand he'd been part of what was called the congested districts boards this was something that was established in the late 1800s to try to help the first kinds of community development and the conditions of the rural population and something that again something very early in Ireland because here you had the effects of colonization the effects of the degrading and the concentration of wealth and yet you begin to have people looking to make an improvement to have some kind of empathy for this troubled economic areas, especially west of the Shannon where there was immigration, you'd had mass loss of peoples during the famines so even though the cause of those was the colonial powers and the and the continual extraction of other forms of agricultural worlds. there was the beginning of a counter movement, and the congested, congested districts boards was part of that. So, Horace Plunkett was was appointed to one of those, and then got got to hear more and more and more about the conditions of the rural population, and so he. Came to having the conviction that the only remedy for those social and economic problems was what he called cooperative self help, which he'd seen and was able to access information about what was happening by these workers who had come together and pooled their resources and also were able to control then their means of production and their conditions of work. And so that continued to gain some traction. And he was also involved in politics. He created an Irish agricultural organisation. And by the time he'd reached success with this, which was only at very late 1800s, early 1900s, there was a lot of cooperation. It was working. There was something like 33 affiliated dairy cooperative societies. There had been the beginnings of what we have now, of the credit unions which are Ireland's biggest cooperatives because they created cooperative banks. They were becoming successful and a lot of resistance to that. And you can kind of see why because it was an intentional action by people to bring up wealth. At the same time, you can imagine that there was huge opposition as being supposedly ruining the dairy industry because it was affecting industry. But the movement did build wealth through the dairy industry, specifically in Ireland, for many years. And then there was a change in the framework of how dairy cooperatives in particular were managed, the wealth that kind of began to be generated by those communities and that accumulated over a hundred-year period. There, there basically was a movement to find ways to profit from that and extract profit from that. And the they call this uh in the nineteen eighties ways of changing all that in the big dairy cooperatives and figuring, you know, basically changing ownership and voting rights that had been established since the beginning. And that was development of what they call the so-called hybrid cooperatives, which the which were a change from these traditional cooperatives owned 100% by farmer members, like the ones that I would be talking about, the worker members. And they, they called it a PLC, public liability company, um, where they had this as a subsidiary, which was then floated on the stock exchange and attracted uh, external investors and basically plugged it back in. To the capitalist system. And so some people have seen that as taking away that power and control from farmers, even though they did retain significant shareholding in the PLCs, that that has actually been declining. And there is a trend of changing that ownership. There's one cooperative attempted to buy back its dairy processing business from the PLC. And not all agricultural co-ops in Ireland followed the trend. Some Diversified in different ways than that. So, cooperatives have as their kind of foundation this idea that people collectively own the means of production and the wealth. And I was speaking briefly on another uh, thread of this podcast about my visit in the 1980s as an art college student to just breaking apart um, Soviet Russia under Gorbachev when the changes were coming. And people often associate the idea of of, of owning the means of production with Marxism, with the Soviets, where there were other forms of cooperative generated. And that People looked at those as being problematic in terms of stagnation of innovation without competition from the free market model of the West. So why I wanted to explore it on this thread of the podcast is to see where the, where are the models that do match needs today for a reversal in that trend of multinational extraction all over the world, but still happening very, very clearly in Ireland as a post colonial country that then has welcomed in and invited in, you know, with corporate tax breaks this other form of corporate extraction. The fact that there are still cooperatives in Ireland that are hanging on since those early ones, but also a new movement of cooperatives is coming to try to fill the gaps in social and economic decline in areas where that is at its worst. And I got to attend um, this month, the Irish Cooperative Society do, and during the week of international cooperatives, a conference, and this year it was online, and it was both from people from both north and south of the border, and it was really interesting to hear about the resilience, particularly in this year of the pandemic of the economic side, not just the social side. Once some of the cooperatives like cooperative owned community shop and coffee shop in Lockmore and that had benefits for the community because of all the social cohesion it had created prior to the pandemic, um, a new community shop in County Cork that had thrived during this year when other businesses were struggling much more due to this cooperative nature. but the ones that were most striking to me that I thought I'd share in this episode and you can probably find the recording and watch the whole story of these where from two Women in Belfast, and one was co-presented by the person who had, was run ran the Migrant Rights Center in Belfast, and the manager of a workers' cooperative that grew out of the Migrant Rights Center. And that one was very interesting because the Migrant Rights Center person was talking about how they were involved in a rights-based campaign organization, but that over time they felt that progress on rights, especially for migrants in work, was slow. That it was, even if they were continually campaigning, the exploitation, the challenges of work conditions for different migrant groups weren't improving quickly. And they decided specifically within migrants who were working in the as carers and had difficult contract hours challenges in in steady wages and not having living wages paid that they would set up or support the setting up of a workers own carers cooperative and so the other woman was talking about that journey and But it was succeeding, it took time to build themselves into the marketplace, even though they were all working as carers, to be co-owners of their own cooperative and, and get out and get contracts to do care work was challenging. What emerged out of that was that it was so much more successful in the immediate lives of the women who were doing carer work, because they could Collaboratively look at their decisions, they want one member, one vote, you know, how they how they were governed was affected by that one person, one vote, and they also could vote on the wages and the investment of any profits that they made, and so out of this effort, they were in much more stable working conditions with much more flexibility of ours, but also better paying consistent wages. And the second person who presented from Northern Ireland was a cleaners cooperative. And I think that the thing that came across to me about her presentation was that when the economic conditions changed and they, as a cleaning company of women cleaners, again, who'd been in precarious working conditions with difficult hours and hard to have consistent income for raising families and so on, that when they created their cleaning cooperative, they still were subject to the economic conditions that prevail. And so during the pandemic, they lost 60% of their business because of the office buildings closing. But having had that happen, they still were a profit-making business. And so this presenter talked about how they voted to, yes, furloughing some of their workers. I think six people had to not be in work, but they voted to top up whatever government payment they were getting with their own profits so that they would be on the same wages as everyone who was working until they could hire them again. So what I was struck by was this idea that a cooperative is about mutual aid and mutual benefit and because it's owned by people who all know each other and the wealth is not being extracted for the profit of individuals but for the sharing of mutual aid with each other, that was an easy and logical step for them to vote for. And interestingly, one of the things that they were able to do in addition to that was to support other women's groups because during the pandemic there was an increase in demand in the need for domestic violence services, for women's aid services, and for women's refuges because of people getting shut in their homes with people who were their abusers. And so this cleaning cooperative was invested in what they needed to have in order to clean those buildings, to make them compliant, to make them stay open, um, and so on. And so there was just this idea of helping each other in a very structured way, but also then in a very compassionate and humane way that rises out of the cooperatives. And one of the things that this woman from the Cleaners Cooperative mentioned that I have tried to verify and have come across a little bit of information about it in some Scandinavian countries and in America and maybe Canada as well. Cooperatives in the area has the most vibrant cooperatives. I think it's something like 800 cooperatives is the area of Italy that the slow food movement arose out of. And that is a similar type of story or pattern that you hear from the workers who want to to maintain the quality of their goods. This is people who have managed to hang on to the value of creating slow, artisanal produced foods in a region, in a huge region, and maintain the wealth within the community. But so Italy apparently has within their laws that if a company is owned by a private owner and is still profitable but the private owner wishes to sell it because not making them enough money. It's not in receivership that they have some mechanisms and this is apparently exists elsewhere in the world too, for the workers to be given essentially first refusal on buying out the cooperative because there's a recognition that the value in the business is in the workers themselves because they're producing the goods and services and so on. And so this, Uh, was something that this speaker from Northern Ireland was sort of challenging governments North and South to make an enabling environment rather than see a production of something closed due to consolidation of wealth at the top to allow that to be co-owned and developed still by the workers who produce the value. In addition to that, the work that I'm exploring uh, in what I call my day job is... Exploring the idea of community wealth building and cooperative ownership of all sorts of things that are necessary for us to make transitions in order to live in a more survivable, viable world for humans because of the need to divest from fossil fuel production. And I think that there's an opportunity that I certainly am buying into that's being explored by People that have developed ideas in 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 the transition movement, but also in policy and advocacy work that is about the 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 growth and the potential of cooperative ownership becoming more mainstreamed, and people being more aware of how possible that is and something that we're going to explore. In future, we hope either being part of other people's cooperatives and lending our support to that, or potentially uh, setting up or transitioning from a social enterprise model that we currently operate at Karkdura into something more of a hybrid sociocratic cooperative model, where we can we can figure out how we build wealth for future generations, but keep it within co-ownership and wealth-building structures. So I just thought I'd touch on on cooperatives in this thread, and it might be something that I revisit as a weaving later on in the last couple of episodes on what systems we need to redesign for ourselves to have What one person at a different conference online that I heard recently, someone that's well-known in the world today, Mike Ryan, who works for the WHO and has been in charge of the pandemic response, and they were talking about the Sustainable Development Goals, and he said perhaps we need to recoin the name of those goals to the Survival Development Goals. So, as part of this podcast, I guess I'm trying to vision what would that world look like, what would the system be like.